Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. Uh, Thanks for your patience, by the way. You know, uh, I enjoy doing a podcast. Um, I've given myself uh, kind of an ambitious schedule by saying that I'm going to do a podcast uh, every Thursday uh, at 8, 7 central when you can look for those new episodes. But uh, I have to admit that um, I can't always do it. (laughs) So, uh, last uh, last couple of months, you know, maybe I just sort of skipped a week here and there, and and uh, well, I'm I'm still I'm still at it, but just you know, it's been it's been a busy time. You know, it's summer, and um, I'm, I'm actually I'm standing outside uh, right now, recording this uh, out on location, just behind the house, and it's a nice, gentle summer afternoon rain happening right now, but. Um, well, that's beside the point. I really wanted to uh, go ahead and you know keep the momentum up here and tell you more about working on the Promised Land television show. So let's uh, take a trip back in my nostalgia to the year 1997. It's the summer of 1997, and we're working on episode 202 of the Promised Land television series, the second episode of the second season. Now, um, at this point, we were aware of the fact that Promised Land was moving from Tuesday nights to Thursday nights. And Thursday nights at 8, 7 central was when Promised Land, uh, you know, the new episodes were aired by CBS. Now, if you remember back in the late 1990s, there was another show on TV at 8, 7 central uh, on Thursday nights, and that was a part of NBC's must-see TV. Yeah, the show Friends, you know, this incredibly popular show Friends was on at 8, 7 Central on Thursday nights. And now Promised Land, which had had a pretty good first season when it came to ratings, was now going to move and be up at the same time as Friends. And certain members of the crew just thought, well, uh, that's it. <laughs> We're dead now. We can't survive against friends. And um, actually, one of the f- one of the first days, you know, maybe the first few days, we were working on that second uh, season, and we were aware of this schedule thing. Uh, the executive producer and uh, creator of Promised Land, Martha Williamson, came to the set. Uh, right about lunchtime, and gave us a little pep talk, and gave us a little speech, and she was, uh, she tried to be very encouraging. She told us that, you know, she was very uh, grateful for the work we had done, and uh, and that we shouldn't worry about being on at the same time as friends. <laughs> she said, it's okay, Promised Land is uh, is doing well with a, with a different demographic. We're just, we're looking for a different audience, so we don't have to worry about uh, the people that would otherwise be watching Friends. We've got our own audience, and they're going to stick with us, and so don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of the fact that we're going to be on at the same time as Friends. Um, well, that sounded good, but we were all just a little bit, you know, still kind of nervous about it. But All right, so we forged ahead. Okay, so working on the second episode of... Um, of that second season, which uh, actually this wasn't going to be aired as the second episode. They had a crossover episode uh, that they were cooking up, uh, which would be a two-parter with part one as the season premiere of Touched by an Angel and part two being the season premiere of Promised Land. That was that was in the works. So that was going to be the first episode to be broadcast. And this one that we were working on was not going to be the second episode broadcast, maybe the third 
so they were shooting a little bit out of order here, but that's because they had something special in mind, and I guess they weren't quite ready to shoot the season premiere. So anyway, so what happens in this story is, well, it's a, it's a pretty convoluted uh, story here. And so let me tell you, uh, from a memoir's point of view, from my own experience here, uh, we had uh, our sound guy on the Promised Land show, uh, the sound mixer, the guy who was actually running the recording equipment, was a character, is a character, <laughs> uh, named Earl. And uh, yeah, so we love Earl. He's, he's a character. And well, see, Earl would always, uh, how, can I, how can I put this? He would always be very efficient about his work. And, uh, you know, he'd get, he'd get things ready, and then he would sit and read the paper, you know, and and uh, and when it was time for him to be, you know, Johnny on the spot and do something, he was right there. But if uh, he didn't, you know, it's, it's a hurry up and wait type of business. And so when Earl wasn't busy, he'd be sitting in his chair reading the paper, which made some people think that, you know, hey, why are we paying this guy? <laughs> Well, it's because he's Johnny on the spot when you want him to do something. And, uh, you know, well, anyway, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. So, Earl, uh, okay, before we start shooting a new episode, um, someone will start, someone from the production office will come around and start passing out copies of the upcoming script so that crew members can start reading. Now, for me as a stand-in, it wasn't that crucial that I read the script before we uh, we start working on an episode. But for some of the other guys, you know, it was kind of important. Um, you know, if there's going to be something special in the script that will require uh, a specific uh, work, something special from the uh, from the electricians. You know, some elaborate scene that takes place in a strange place is going to be difficult to light. It, then, you know, it might be nice for one of the electricians to read the script and alert uh, the department that, hey, we've got this thing coming up. Uh, you know, anyone else set dressing, uh, so the, from anyone from the art department that had to get props or set dressing or, you know, construction, uh, locations, people. It's important for them to read the scripts before, you know, we start we start going. Um, and it just turns out that, you know, a few days before we start working on the next episode, we get the script, we start, we start reading through it. And, and Earl being the sound man, well, he might have a little bit more time, uh, to, to read the script, uh, for the next episode. Right. So, and, and sometimes Earl being such a character and such a jokester, you never quite knew when he was being serious. And right in the middle of our work day, a few days before we start working on episode 202, Earl says, well, so Claire's going to be pregnant. And we're like, what? Earl, you are such a kidder. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing they could ever dream up. And so uh, later on, I, I got a hold of the script, and, and, and in, in some free time, I, I read through it, and, and uh, uh, Earl was telling the truth. There was some subplot, or actually a major plot point, in, in the script of episode 202, where we were going to find out that Claire Green was expecting a baby. You know, one of these situations where a couple that had been around for a while and had some kids, and then there was a long, long gap where they weren't having kids, and they thought they were done, but 
they weren't done, they're expecting a baby. So it, it was for real. And I remember uh, hearing about that and thinking, no, please, no, no, let's not do this. We can't. Ugh. It's kind of the death knell for any program when they start adding babies to the to the cast, you know. And, and plus, I just figured that there's no way we can have a baby on this show. I mean, think of the nature of the show. We're traveling around the country. Well, you know, we're not really all over the country. We're mainly just in the northern part of Utah. But nevertheless, we have to show these people piling into a Chevy Suburban, towing a camper around the country, and, um, you know, sometimes we're, when we're filming, we've got that Chevy Suburban out in the middle of the desert or somewhere where it's difficult to, uh, to, to you know, you don't have uh, facilities for a baby or air conditioning or things. You know, we're, we're okay with, you know, responsible people and grown-ups and stuff, but for a little baby to be in that situation in the cast of the show, it's, just, it's, it's unworkable. There's no way. And so I'm just kind of scratching my head going, no, are they really going to do this? Are they really going to do this? Uh, so anyway, so this is just the beginning of something that, uh, well, I think it ended badly. But I sort of knew all along it was going to end badly because there was no way they're going to have a baby on the show. And we had a, we'd had a baby on the show before. Well, not, a, not a, like a baby, but maybe... Um, you know, an infant, maybe, a, you know, less than a year old little little girl on the show. And um, in an episode with uh, Chris Burke called Independence Day from, uh, from the first season. And see, when you've got a child that young, child labor laws, Screen Actors Guild uh, uh, you know, regulations, things like this, they're, they're very limited in the amount of time they can be on set. So... It is true they often get identical twins, to, or, or at least twins that look look enough like identical twins that uh, when they need a baby or a very, very young child in, in, in a story like this, in a TV show or a movie, you know, they get these identical ones so that you know, if they only get a couple of hours that they can actually use the kid, then maybe they'll get a couple more hours using the twin. <laughs> And so then they get, you know, maybe four hours instead of just two. Because, you know, like I said, there's just real tight regulations about what you can do with a very young child. So I just knew that this is unworkable. If we were going to have a baby as a regular cast member on the Promised Land show somewhere at the end of the second season or, or in the third season, um, you just you can't do that. We had so many scenes where they're in the suburban and you see the whole family all at once. And, you know, we just... <laughs> We get like one shot at a scene like that, and then that's it. The baby has to go home for the day. You know, it's just, uh, I, I just, uh, hmm, okay. Well, anyway, the 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 storyline goes something like this: Claire is upset about something, and she's trying to write a letter to her sister. Which, out of the blue, we find out she has a sister. I mean, they'd referred to her mother and her father in the previous season, but. Never, never having to mention that she had a sister. But all of a sudden, she has a sister. She wants to write a letter to her sister. She keeps starting the letter and then not finishing the letter and uh, just real upset about what she's going to write to her sister. And no one's really quite sure, what's wrong with, what's wrong with mom? What's wrong with Claire? She can't write. Um, and so also in the episode, um, 
they they went to visit a museum or a gift shop or something like that, and uh, Nathaniel tried to uh, play around with this Indian drum. He's banging on the drum, and he got in trouble from the guy who ran the gift shop. So they leave, and in the meantime, they left behind this needlepoint thing that Grandma's been working on, and it's a map of the country in needlepoint. Uh, well, it's like a quilt, and then she's doing a, sort of a needlepoint on the quilt, uh, making little icons for the different little adventures they've had traveling around the country together. So she put a little alien head uh, in New Mexico, referring to something that happened in the first season, and, the, and a hot air balloon over Colorado, and all the, you know, so it's kind of a neat idea. And so this is the episode that introduced this particular quilt with the needlepoint stuff on it. And so um, they mistakenly leave this thing behind at the gift shop and move along. And uh, later on, figure out what they've done. They go back, and the guy who runs the gift shops uh, has this, this quilt for sale, you know, framed and for sale. And uh, they're like, you can't sell that. That's ours. He's like, no, it's not my mom made this. And so uh, there's this dispute there. And uh, the guy who ran the gift shop, the actor who played the part, is a, name, a man named Stephen Tobolowsky. And uh, you'll, you would recognize him as a character actor. He's been in some movies and stuff. Uh, but the, the thing that people seem to remember him most for is his work on the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. And uh, Stephen Tobolowsky plays a character named Ned Ryerson in the movie Groundhog Day. He's the insurance salesman that, that greets Bill Murray every morning. Hi, remember me? Needle-nosed Ned? Okay, so we got that guy, and he's, he, he's delightful to work with. I mean, I know he played kind of a kind of a rat on the episode just kind of this this snooty guy who was not very nice and you know everyone's annoyed by him but in real life you know he's the guy's the guy's a crack up he's he's a he's a very friendly funny guy and and uh, we had a good time working with Stephen Tobolowski and and I must say this is not the last time I worked with Stephen Tobolowski a, a, a number of years later I got to work with him again but that's another story. So um, he was there, and he, that was a highlight of the episode. Um, well, so Grandma and the kids, they... they uh, well, let me see. How did this go? They see that uh, Mom and Dad are, not, uh, are having some, some troubles. They're, they're very tense, and you know, things just aren't going well. So Grandma doesn't know exactly what's going on, but has enough insight to say, Come on, kids, we're going on a little road trip. And uh, and so they get in the Suburban, they leave the Airstream trailer behind with mom and dad in there to work out whatever difficulties they're having. And uh, grandma and the kids, they take off in the Suburban and they go to track down this quilt with the needle point on it or, or something like that. And uh, at this point, when you know, when the grandma takes off, uh, Russell himself doesn't know that Claire is expecting a baby. So part of what happens when they're kind of working out their issues is uh, she finally tells him that she's expecting a baby, and then he's just, you know, devastated, confused, bewildered, and finally accepting and excited about it. Uh, So that's one whole subplot there. And then somehow they also manage to weave in some miniature golf 
And um, there's a there's a the subplot about how you know who who really owns this uh, this quilt with the needle point on it gets uh, gets settled by a miniature golf challenge between Grandma and uh, Stephen Tobolowski's character. So that was kind of fun. We 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 ended up uh, having the opportunity to be at a real miniature golf course uh, for uh, two or three days of filming. So that was. That was fun, because as crew members, we got to pretty much do free miniature golfing. <laughs> when when we weren't uh, needed on set, we could go miniature golf for free all day long. <laughs> Which, you know, that was nice, but it, you know, it does get old after a little while. But I think I got pretty good at just putting there. And like during our lunch break, you know, spend the whole lunch break playing miniature golf. And I got I got pretty good for, you know couple days um the the place we went to to film that was a miniature golf place called mulligans in the sandy area of the salt lake valley on a on a street kind of a main thoroughfare called 106th south so uh west of i-15 on 106th south or something like that mulligans i think it's still around uh, there used to be other Mulligans miniature golf locations around uh, Utah, but I think the the rest of them are gone now. But that particular one, they had a couple of uh, 18-hole miniature golf courses and a driving range, and it was yeah, it was fun to be there. Um, about the only thing that's really memorable about this episode and, and unique, though, there was a little uh, there was a little problem with uh, uh, something they had filmed, I guess. Um, there, there's this scene in there where uh, Russell and Claire are having, uh, when they're all alone in the Airstream trailer, they're having a nice romantic evening together. And uh, they're kind of in PJs, except Russell's wearing his sweatpants and no shirt. And having this, uh, you know, nice uh, romantic scene, right? And uh, in the middle of all this, they get interrupted. And the guy who runs the miniature golf course is knocking on the Airstream trailer and telling them, that um, you have to leave. <laughs> and Russell's trying to explain that, I, well, I can't leave. We don't have our Suburban. Uh, the trailer's going to have to stay here until my, until my mother gets back. And, and uh, so a little argument going on there. And then in the middle of that argument, Claire bursts out crying or bursts out laughing, just this wild mood swing. And then she says, I'm pregnant in front of both of the guys. And... Uh, well, it, it it actually is kind of a funny scene, but what what happens though is that when uh, when Russell answers the door, he flings the door open to talk to the guy from Miniature Golf Course, and he's standing there with no shirt on. And the way they had filmed it, just from the waist up, uh, you couldn't see that he was wearing anything at all. Well, he was wearing sweatpants, but from the framing. You could only see him from, you know, about navel up. And so I guess there was some concern, either the executive producer or people from CBS or just, I don't know exactly who got worried about this idea that it looked like Russell answered the door wearing nothing at all. So we actually had to, in a week or so later, we had to refilm this one little moment uh, <laughs> <laughs> to make to sh- to make it more clear that Russell was wearing something when he answered the door 
to the Airstream trailer. <laughs> so, all right. So that's a, that's a bunch of convoluted stories there. But that uh, that was episode 202 of Promised Land. Now, as I said, we filmed this kind of knowing in advance that this was not going to be uh, the second episode broadcast. Um, you know, we had to introduce this, uh, this pregnancy storyline. And then from that point onward, every episode would have to, you know, deal with that. So, so even though we, we filmed them in order of 201, 202, and then 203, the broadcast order started with 203. Then it went back to 201, 202. And that was because 203 was a special season premiere crossover with Touched by an Angel with a special guest star by the name of Richard Thomas. Now, Richard Thomas was coming out to do a very important uh, role for the show, the role of Joe Green, the long-lost brother of Russell Green, the long-lost father of Nathaniel Green, the cute little red-headed boy on our show. So this was a big deal. And there had been some speculation the whole first season of, you know, are we going to show Joe Green? Or is, 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 is the Green family ever going to find Joe Green while they're out there traveling around America? So while we were filming episode 202, I found out that indeed episode 203, our season premiere, would feature Joe Green, played by... Richard Thomas. That was a bit of a surprise. They'd actually thrown around some other names of who they might get to play the part. And I believe, uh, you know, this is rumors, I I suppose, but way early on, there were some people saying that they thought there would be an effort to get Gregory Harrison to play the part of Joe Green. And I don't know when that would have happened or, you know, how these things progress, but that has never happened. And uh, I remember thinking, well, Gregory Harrison, I don't know, he might be the right age, but he doesn't really look like he might be, you know, Gerald McCraney's brother. And I, I kind of thought the same thing about Richard Thomas. He doesn't really seem like, you know, brothers. And well, and, and the other thing is I, I, I thought of Richard Thomas, Thomas as this uh, nice guy character, real, you know, nice, goody two-shoes, clean-cut kind of a guy. And I just couldn't picture him as... Joe Green, the, uh, you know, the, the messed up uh, brother of Russell Green that they had referred to this uh, throughout the first season. But I got to tell you, Richard Thomas, he, he pulled it off. He, he, he showed up and, man, he was Joe Green. And so I'll have to tell you about that in the next episode of this podcast. So then a little preview there. Richard Thomas, this is the guy who played John Boy Walton on The Waltons. And then he was in a made-for-TV movie called The Christmas Box. He did a lot of, lot of made-for-TV stuff over the years. And, uh, and i got to tell you, the reason why he was on all those different made-for-TV things over the years is that he's such, such a dream to work with. Really nice guy, really professional, uh, really you know, delivers the good as an, as an actor. Um, you know, he, he nails it uh, in his performances. He, he understands all the technical stuff. And, he, and he's just so unassuming and nice. So no wonder everybody likes working with Richard Thomas. And I liked it too. And I'll tell you more about that on the next episode of this podcast. Okay, so there we go. Thanks for joining me in this episode of the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. 
I will endeavor to release new episodes of this podcast Thursday nights at 8, 7 central time. I'm not going to promise that it'll be every Thursday night, but that's what I'm going to try to do. And, you know, keep this up because I got a lot of more stories to tell, a lot more stories to tell, and m- many of them much more interesting than the stories you've heard so far. All right. Well, if you have any feedback, uh, go ahead, drop me a line. Uh, It's moviestandin at gmail.com. And also, uh, the official show notes of this podcast are available at utahstandin.blogspot.com. Okay. And remember, all of the things that you hear on the memoirs of a movie stand-in podcast are contingent upon the accuracy of my own memory, which is always suspect. So, you know, just be entertained by it. And, you know, we're not about, like, lawsuits here. (laughs) I'm not not trying to dish dirt on anyone. I love everybody in the movie business. Everyone I've worked with has been a dream and a joy. And I wouldn't mean to say anything bad about them. Okay? All right. So if we'll all agree on that, then I'll see you next time on the Memoirs of a Movie Stand-In Podcast. (laughs) 